and carry this show where we don't just report on fringe science spirituality claims of the paranormal no way we take part ourselves yep when they make the claims we show up so you don't have to i'm ross blotcher and i'm james randy and we are back to talk about me hey. ho 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 okay wait this let me... isn't how i remember you james <laughs> i should have done a christmas opening ho 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 i'm james randy i look like santa this is our tenuous connection because we've been talking for a while about about doing James Randy. Yeah, James Randy and giving our own tribute to James Randy. So we thought about it around his birthday, which is adjacent to mine. He's kind of a oh, birthday right. buddy. August, yeah. Yeah, August 7th. Hey. 1928 hey. and I'm August 6th, Whoa. 1982. You just Whoa. you just switch them. numbers. Yeah, but I think we've mentioned before that this show would not exist were it not for James Randy. And That's- possible i think it's true you think it's true yeah okay i mean i can accept that it might be true one Um, or both of us would not have met each other yeah yeah that's very possible i might not be a skeptic okay well i still don't call myself one yeah (laughs) but but james randy sure did and he was a magician and activist and we're going to tell you about him but first ross you went to scotland yes i did yes tell me about it was it good oh it was fantastic we had an amazing trip we went to london and spent about a week there but we also went up to edinburgh cool oh such a cool town and also inverness inverness yeah we did visit loch ness nice and i think there actually might be enough material there for a podcast talking okay. about loch ness so uh maybe we can visit that more but yeah it, it was it was a great trip we locked down on weather this was my son's first time leaving the country nice oh wow what a what a trip to start on we also went with our good friend charles yeah who fun people may remember from the rage room episode but yeah we all had our kind of wish lists and we got to all do the things we wanted to do and see cathedrals and graveyards and the high points of tourist travel. But it was also really fun because there would be these unexpected tie-ins to sort of intellectual history and people that I look up to. So like the first hotel where we stayed in London, just around the corner was a place where Isaac Newton had lived. Oh, whoa. What? Wow. So there was a plaque. They have these blue plaques all over London, you know, that show where important things happened. I should say all over the UK. And then like on the other side down the block was the home where Ada Lovelace lived. She was the first programmer. She wrote routines for a Babbage's machine. Uh, okay, I know the name. Like, was there a, a book about her recently? Yeah, I read a, a really cool book called Babbage. Was it The Thrilling Adventures of Babbage and Lovelace? Okay. Something like okay. that. And her father was Lord Byron, the oh, poet. Wow. You know, yeah. cool connections there. And we got to go in Westminster Abbey and Darwin is buried there and memorialized there. Cool. But also when we were in Edinburgh, we, I saw just on Google Maps, it said Darwin plaque. So I was like, okay, everybody, let's go yeah. over here. And turns out when he was studying at the Edinburgh Medical School, that's where that's where he stayed. When he was a med student. Okay. Right. Wow. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And lots of other fun things like that. Like uh, where we stayed in Edinburgh, there was a graveyard right across the street. And not only was there a memorial with Abraham Lincoln on it, which was like, wait, what? What are huh. you doing here? Yeah. It was to Scottish American soldiers. But there was also a memorial to David Hume. And then he had a statue down on 
the Royal Mile. Anyways, everywhere we went, there were all these just little fun, unexpected things as well. Like, whoa, that's here. Oh, my goodness. That's so cool. That's cool. Uh, it was amazing. That's and, fun. Oh, and I've, I also got to ride on the Loch Ness Monster. I, I left that oh, part out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oops. Yeah, and, you sent me a selfie during that. Yeah, that's yeah. That's right. That was uh, cool. Great reception. Oh, I wish we could find that photo, but. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's not on my phone anymore. Yeah, and I didn't save it. So you should have because I, I, I dropped like, my. This is a passing moment. Loch Ness is very deep and you drop yeah. your phone in there. Yeah, I know. I was embarrassed as soon as I deleted it from all of my devices. Um, Well, I have news too. I finished my psychology class, my psychopathology class at Harvard. Thank you. Thank you. This was my second. Thank you so much. This was my second grad psych level class at Harvard. Does this mean you're a certified psycho? Is that how that works? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, you get it. Congratulations. Um, Yeah, no, my joke for these like 13 weeks or whatever has been that I'm figuring out what's wrong with Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's an extension has, of the fart humor. He has fart disease. It's so sad. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for some kind of moan. No, he's letting from it. Drew. He's letting it pass. He's letting it, which he does a lot, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So I'm doing the topics in human behavior certificate, and I'm halfway through. I mention it partly because I'm like so jazzed about Harvard's structure. You can just sign up for a class. And then if you're able to hang, they're like, we're not going to dumb this down for you. We are actual Mm -hmm. Harvard professors. Okay. But like, if you can hang and you can get better than a B, you can take the next one. Whoa. Yeah. I think it's like, it's very equalizing and cool. Yeah. I'm really enjoying myself. Nice. And finally, fusion. Yeah. Big deal. Oh my God, Ross. This blew Carrie's mind. Well, it's still blowing my mind. Every time I think of it, I'm like, oh my God, never mind. Everything is better. It should uh, blow everybody's mind. It's so exciting. I just had to explain it to someone today at lunch because like they just hadn't caught wind because it's not, not everybody's staying next to Drew all day. So they don't like catch wind as often as I do. So everybody who's been hiding under a bushel, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the energy department announcing ignition for the first time at Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. A huge deal. It was the first proof positive that you can get more energy out of a reaction than you put into it with nuclear fusion. It's just nuts. Like, we didn't know if we could do it, if it would ever happen. And now that we know that it can happen, uh, as my friend Phil said, it's just an engineering problem. Yeah. Uh, And also a supply problem. There's a lot of materials that we'll need to figure out how to synthesize there. But yeah, this is amazing and uh, one big step closer to the clean energy future that we all want and deserve. Yeah. Let yourself be really excited. That's my advice. Let yourself be so happy and excited. Do it. And finally, sorry, before we talk about James Randi, one oh, other you wanna, thing. Oh, you want to talk about Trump's NFT collection? Yes. Finally, he got, he released <laughs> Major my dream item. No. God. Uh, okay. I said this somewhere else, so I feel like I should say it here. I'm investigating Bessel van der Kolk. He is a trauma researcher who has a very popular book right now. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. He is central to my book about trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'm very far in that investigation, but I do need to hear more from people who have a personal connection to this subject matter, whether that means you actually worked with the guy or you read the book and it had a big impact on you. I want to hear from you. So I have a tip line. It's tips for Carrie at Gmail. But especially if you're like, ooh, that makes me think of someone I know who lived in Boston in the 90s when he was there. You know, like if you think Mm -hmm. of a particular angle, maybe let that person know about what's up. Okay. All right. You're you're finally out in public with this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because Carrie's hinted at this and talked about pieces of it on the show. Yeah. Now you know that big project she's working on. Yeah. It's, um... 
It's quite a whole undertaking. Ross knows all the secrets, but he's a good friend. I won't tell you. Yeah, I won't tell you anything. Yeah. You can torture me and uh, you'll get nothing. Yeah, that's right. Nothing. That's right. But we're here to talk about James Randi. James Randi. Yeah, so we just mentioned he was born in 1928 and he lived for a long time. He just passed away near the end of 2020. Uh, October 20th. So 10, 20, 2020. Yeah. How old did he get to? 92. 92. Pretty good. Yeah. And he was smart and active and lucid, you know, up until his final months. Yeah. Yeah. James Randi. We both, well, met him. You knew him. Mm-hmm. I met him on a couple occasions. I don't know. Should we first talk just a bit about who he is? Yeah. So he was a stage magician mm-hmm. and he did all sorts of sleight of hand tricks and escape artist tricks. Big Houdini devotee. Yeah. He got really inspired to reproduce and improve upon some of Houdini's escapes and illusions. And so there's like a famous clip of him hanging upside down over Niagara Falls Mm -hmm. and getting out of a straight jacket and he had records for like staying sealed in an underwater cask for over an hour and a half like 10 minutes longer than Houdini did and then he stayed in a block of ice for 55 minutes which was longer than Houdini had and um, similar like handcuff escapes and he was known as the amazing Randy that was his magician call sign his name and he was a real like indie operator for a long time like Mm -hmm. he was doing all this stuff kind of usually on his own dime just sort of getting little gigs and then he would use the opportunity to talk about the kind of tricks our minds play on themselves and how magic can illuminate those tricks and help us understand self-deception and then he started realizing oh (laughs) there's lots of people doing magic tricks and pretending they're real magic and we call these people faith healers yeah and or psychics or right various other other names for crossing over that same kind of demarcation line between being an honest liar uh where you tell people you're going to fool them and you fool them And fooling people and not telling them that Mm. you're fooling them. Instead, like making them believe in some higher power or ability that you have in order for them to give you money. Right. I'm thinking, for example, of Shakuntali walking across water, supposedly, where it Mm -hmm. looks like she's just walking on a board or uh, dancing on glass and acting like that took magical ability. Yeah. So he had this very active magic career, but he started getting interested, again, like Harry Houdini had, in people who claim to have these abilities. And he started carrying around like a personal check for $10,000 and would challenge people. Hey, if you can do this under proper observing conditions, and I know how to set those up. I'm a magician. I think I know how you're doing this, but Mm -hmm. let's try it out. And then, you know, I'll give you the money. And so he had many public kind of interactions with popular psychics and performers of the day, calling them on that. Uh, We should mention a couple other notable things he did as a magician. Well, he was on Happy Days. That's cool. That's right. I forgot that. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he was also... Oh, yeah. He he also worked with Alice Cooper, the musician. Uh, uh, Right. Went on on tour with him. Went on tour with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alice Cooper wanted to... Uh, be executed mid-show and have his head cut off on a guillotine. And so Randy was the one who created that illusion to very convincingly make it look like Alice Cooper was there moving his head around, then all of a sudden, head falls in the bucket. Yeah, very cool. So Randy also earned the MacArthur Genius Grant in the 80s. And it's interesting, he was already in like, I think his 50s when that happened. 
I don't know, his his career was a little sealed at the time. Like magicians knew who James Randi was, but he wasn't like a really big deal. And mm-hmm. then this this grant came and won him this international attention. Yeah, and a big cash prize. Yeah. And it's really touching if you go back and look at the article when he was first given this grant, he's like, Oh, the cash award's one thing, but it's nice to have it, but it's more than that to me. It says a conservative, sober, scientific group considers my work legitimate. Huh. They really went out on a limb to give it to a magician. Um, okay. And I think Randy really ran with that. You know, he was like, that's right. Like he was emboldened by it in this really mm. lovely way where he's like, oh shit, like my work matters. Mm-hmm. I am doing a thing. This isn't just like an additive to my magic tricks. This is yeah. a thing. And I made a reference a little earlier to an honest liar. That was a, a phrase that he would use to describe himself. I tell you I'm going to deceive you and then I deceive you. That's also the name of a really great documentary made about him. An Honest Liar, yeah. Yeah, so I'd highly recommend if you haven't seen that already, go find it. It's on various streaming platforms. Watch for my name. I'm in the credits. Sweet. And Ross helped fund it. Yeah, that's why I have this really cool deck of cards uh, we'll talk about in a bit. But the, the film shows a moment where he was, I think, 60 or close to it. And he did one of those water can escapes that... Houdini used to do, you know, where you submerge yourself and then are locked into this giant milk can, uh, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. It's a giant can that we don't use anymore for anything, but it looks very intimidating. And he was in there holding his breath and going to do his normal routine to get out of there. And something was broken and he wasn't able to. And then he hears a couple of his vertebra crack. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they had to break him out of there. They had to take him to the hospital, wheel him back at oh the end gosh. of the show. And he decided after that, you know what? Maybe I won't do the escape magic anymore. Let's focus more on this uh, professional skepticism work. Uh, Not debunking. That was a phrase that he did not like. I agree with him. He issued. Yeah. uh, Lots of people wanted to call him a debunker. Mm -hmm. uh, And certainly there's a lot of bunk out there. But he saw that as someone with a foregone conclusion. Yep. I'm I'm just waiting in to find out why this is wrong. Yeah. That's Uh, how I feel about it too. A lot of people, of course, accused him of that mindset. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he became more and more active just doing this sort of direct challenging, uh, especially publicly of popular people who would do this sort of thing, uh, you know, the psychic spiritualists. And he was very uh, connected with a lot of other intellectuals of the time, like Martin Gardner. They mm-hmm. had a close friendship, Ray Hyman, um, Paul Kurtz, who founded the Center for Inquiry. And at the time with Randy, there was a group that got together along with Carl Sagan. They all formed the Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, PSYCOP. And it was still called that when I kind of got involved. And then they renamed it to CSI, Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. It sounds more like a TV show. (laughs) Um, He formed that group along with those other kind of leading lights. And yeah, confronted a lot of psychics and paranormalists head on, most notably... Uri Geller? Yeah. Uri Geller, a spoon bender. Yeah, from Israel, who in the early 70s was this young up-and-coming... Well, I was going to say magician. He still will not agree to being called a magician. He's now a mystifier. Oh, that's his dad. They're illusions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was known for bending spoons. Mm. He would do other things like supposedly with his minds. Right, right. He yeah. was obviously bending them with his hands. Funny enough, but pretending to bend them with his We mind. can also bend spoons, but yeah, <laughs> we'll tell you we're doing it with our hands. He would do it with his hands and then reveal that he had done it later on, making it look like he'd done it with his mind. Or, you know, there's a variety of ways to bend a spoon. Yeah. Uh, but he would do this for people like Barbara Walters and they just 
just be wow or he'd do it for a group of scientists and they'd be like oh my goodness we've discovered telekinesis because they weren't used to people lying to their faces mm. which is probably what Uri Geller was doing uh, so James Randi wrote a book called The Magic of Uri Geller later called The Truth About Uri Geller and then Uri Geller would sue him and they, they were just back and forth for years at each other's throats over Randy trying to show people what was going on. Yep. So, spoiler, later in this story, we'll learn. I worked with and for James Randy for six months. I can tell you, he still could like quiver with rage over thinking about Uri Geller. Wow. And just get so mad and be halfway through telling you a story and he's just not even in the room anymore. He's just off on his little mental <laughs> tangent telling you about these details about what he said that one time that he ran into him on the street and he would just get completely <laughs> lost in it. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, but what I asked you was, what's your password on your Skype account? <laughs> I need to help you. <laughs> He's just- It's oh, Uri man, Geller is a really little shit. <laughs> But, really the, that. but the E in Geller is a is an at symbol. So famously, James Randi exposed Uri Geller on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah. And he was a frequent guest on The Johnny Carson Show. We found the number 32. It might be 32 guest spots, but it's not well sourced. Yeah, there's not, not sure. like a, a really detailed source list on that. But it was a lot that yeah. he would show up. And he tells the story in An Honest Liar. And he, I've heard him tell the story many other times in other venues. It's a great story. But they had asked Randy to come out like the next day and he lives across the country. So he's like, well, I can't come help you with Uri Geller's appearance, but here's what to do. Let me talk to the prop guy. Make sure that these little canisters, because they were going to like hide a ball bearing inside of a canister, make sure they're not just going to slide around, put a little bit of uh, rubber cement on the bottom of them. Mm. And then when he tries to, you know, bend it spoon or whatever like here's ways to sort of be one step ahead of him Mm -hmm. and and if what he's saying he can do is real he should still be able to do it but this will prevent this mode of trickery right these will stop a deception and will not stop an honest person and uh, this is a great clip to look up uri geller on johnny carson's show because johnny carson says okay we've prepared a few things for you to do your normal routine and Uri gets so nervous and even says like, oh, these, are, I don't know, this is making me really uncomfortable. <laughs> and Giant Carter's like, oh, not trying to make you uncomfortable. Just, you know, thought yeah. you were going to do this. Well, your producer said like, you'd ask me a bunch of questions. Oh, I can ask you questions. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> what do you say? Like, I, I'm just, I'm not feeling strong right now. Not all the time, just right now. <laughs> It was just so fun to watch him squirm because he knew he couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, special pleading. It was like just all that. like the laws of probability now is all he had. And yeah. he didn't have the trickery. So that's a delightful thing to watch. But then to Randy's frustration, Uri Geller continued to sell books and do well and yep. appear on other shows. And Randy, immediately after Uri Geller would show up on a show, he'd contact them. And then he tried to get on the show next to go debunk it. Like <laughs> it sounds like my buddy. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Like, there's a clip of him doing that for Barbara Walters. And she's like, no, no, but I have this key. And he bent it. I saw him do it. Oh, buddy. And and so then Randy, like, does the exact same thing with her. And then she goes, oh, oh, my. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, you did exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, and of course, his responsible line would always be, well, I can't prove to you that's how he did it. But I can show you. Right. How I can do something very similar as a magician. Right. And you decide, is it more likely he did this or that? spirits embody spoons and move them around and react to our brains it's up to you 
Yeah. Whichever one you think is more likely. Yeah, yeah. And then another famous person that uh, was on James Randi's hit list was Peter Popoff. Peter Popoff, yes. Yeah. He was a faith healer mm-hmm. who would... Uh, is. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that guy's still around. In fact, we mentioned him on our Melissa Scott investigation yeah. because we went into her fancy community, super rich area. Was it Brentwood? It was no, it was um oh, what's that place called? Bradbury. That's what it is. Yeah, we were wandering around looking for Pastor Melissa Scott's house and we found Peter Popoff's house. I'm like, yeah. oh, you and your ill-gotten gains. Because he's still selling like miracle water yeah. and anointing oil or whatever I, it is. I wrote an updated expose about him for Skeptical Inquirer oh, cool. in like 2015 or so. Nice. Yeah, yeah, where I like showed up on his property at his ministry and like talked to them. Yeah, he's still doing his thing. He's still sending out letters. Like he sent... A letter to Drew. Drew has cerebral palsy. He sent a letter to Drew, like saying he cures his CP, like anything that you mention yeah. mm-hmm. in their outreach materials. They'll they're just going use to it use right to say, "Well, you. we can cure that." Yeah. So you know, with you, it would be eczema or whatever. Which was his shtick back in the eighties. He would have these huge rallies, you know, fill up like an auditorium, and people would come to be healed. And beforehand, they would talk to someone from the ministry, mention, well, they'd write down their address, they would mention what was what they wanted healed. And then later on, he would just looking out at the audience, he would say, oh, where's uh, Edith Chapman? Oh, I see you there. Okay. And you're at 6355. Wilshire Way, and oh like, oh, wow, that, how did he know? I feel that the, the pain in your kidneys is burning up right now. Oh, yeah, he also has this really annoying voice. Oh, yeah, just like a like a harpy. Yeah, it feels like, like someone who's auditioning to be a witch in Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle, devil, toil and trouble. Yeah what, yeah, what is that voice he uses? But anyway, so like, okay, wow, really impressive that God is telling you everybody's address. That's a weird <laughs> shtick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is. It's like the the people who are like, I'm getting an M. Yeah, but but so specific. Here's your exact, right, right, you know, kind of the other side of it. Five thirty two Lincoln Court. You know, like, well, that's specific what? but useless, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's strange because I filled that out on a card earlier. Yeah. So Randy was uh, suspicious as to where this information was coming from. So he brought in this investigator, Alec Jason, who uh, had a radio scanner and uh, you know, pretended to be a security guard and figured out what frequency they were broadcasting. And it was Popoff's wife. And he recorded Popoff's wife reading over an earpiece, which was also kind of weird. Why is this guy who can heal people of their deafness. <laughs> yeah. Why does he need a, a hearing piece of some sort? Yeah. So he was receiving this real time from his wife who would be saying the names of the people. Uh, none of this aired, but later on, I remember Randy sharing racist things that she was saying yeah. as well. Like, Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that footage. Now I'm having yeah. a source monitoring problem. At but... least it wasn't on the original yeah. Tonight Show with Johnny Carson broadcast. Yeah, but it was like he called up a young black girl and she says something like, oh, you're going to love her. And then I think I think uses the insler about her. And like, don't touch her. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah, it was it was really gross. gross. Anyway, so Randy came on the Johnny Carson show and live premiered that with the footage of Popoff doing his readings of the audience 
simultaneous with the recording of his wife speaking to him over the earpiece. And he immediately declared bankruptcy. Pop off, not Randy. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And you would think that would be the end of him. But no, no, he just comes back and Randy refers to this as the unsinkable rubber duck. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you knock them down and they just whoop, come mm-hmm. right back up and keep doing their thing and they get away with it somehow. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Trump has these awesome collectible cards <laughs> available as NFTs, $99 a piece. It's a real steal. A great holiday gift. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I, a former Randy employee am being tested. <laughs> no, Bad. Bad. We were talking just before recording about James Heydrich. That's another really fun YouTube clip where you get to watch somebody squirm. If you look it up, I, I think. It's, oh wait, let me look up the spelling of it. James and then Heydrich. H y d r i c k. An amazing clip. It was a different show. So this was a fellow who said he could move paper with his mind. So you could set a book in front of him and he could flip through it without touching it. Essentially. Yeah, and he would do that also with like pencils. He'd rotate them on the oh, edge yes, of a table, right. and uh, he was like this, you know, white guy with like a Prince Valiant haircut. And then he would wear Eastern silk garments. I don't know. He had a weird aesthetic going on. uh Uh, But James Randi thought, okay, well, it looks like the guy's just like blowing on the pieces of paper. So he was really good at this one trick. But it's basically like you have to make this tiny stream of air that hits the item at this exact spot and that your viewer doesn't notice. Yeah. And you're busy moving your arms around and it's misdirection. Hey, Mm -hmm. what do you know? The kind of thing a magician might pick up on. So James Randi had his, I think it was still $10,000 check at the time. And put down the phone book, but then also surrounded it with these light styrofoam peanuts. And, you know, if he could still move the pages with his mind, it would work. But if he was using his breath, it would be pretty evident all of these peanuts would would scatter. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Such a great design. So then you get to watch this guy so awkwardly like, okay, well, I'm just like Uri Geller would do and put on the spot like, okay, I'm going to start doing the motions and just hope something works in my favor and... (laughs) Oh, there's no way out of this situation. Yeah. This sucks. <laughs> and and you also know that he's thinking, not just I'm going to fail at this, but it's going to be obvious why. Like, everyone in this room with me already doubts me. You know, mm-hmm. it's just such a defeating. Yeah. Um, you almost feel for him. <laughs> right, right. And you have to kind of stop yourself because you're like, oh, I feel this uh, vicarious embarrassment for yeah. him. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you kind of earned this one. Right, right. Brought this on yourself. Uh, and so, of course, he fails. And then he, I think, later on blames, like, the styrofoam was interacting with the lights in the mm-hmm. studio and, you know, heard this kind Classic. of thing many times. Oh, I hate when styrofoam does that. Uh, but James Randi would also, I mean, he was the original show up so you don't have to guy. Mm-hmm. He would take a whole pill bottle full of homeopathic medicine as we did on our show. Yeah. And be like, okay, I just took an entire like month's supply of a sleeping calm pills. Forte. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel fine. Yeah. He was actually the first person who taught me what homeopathy was. That's when... a great person to learn it from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not direct. I, I hadn't met him yet, but... When I was just out of college and still believed in that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, or like at least hadn't thought about it thoroughly, yeah, I somehow ended up 
watching some of his stuff on YouTube. Yeah. And there was this old show that I don't even know what it was on, but he would do these little 20 minute sort of how to segments, kind of Bill Nye, but for paranormal shit. Oh, interesting. Okay. And in that, he would do like psychic surgery demonstrations and things uh, like yeah. this. And in that, he explained homeopathy. And I had probably watched five or six of them. And my boyfriend at the time, Evan, he continued watching too. And one day I wasn't there. I came back and he was like, Carrie, do you know what homeopathy is? And I was like, of course. And he's like, well, no, like, do you know what it is? There's this guy, James Randi. And uh, yeah, and he explained it. And it's like, you take medicine. First of all, you take the wrong medicine. And then you like dilute it until there's like nothing there. And then you shake it a bunch. And then you put it in sugar. And I was like, well, that can't be like... Okay, maybe someone does that, but that can't be what homeopathy right. is. And yeah. it turns out that's what homeopathy is. Because most people think, oh, it's just a form of natural medicine. No, it's something very specific, uh-huh. relatively recent, and incredibly wrong. <laughs> so that's how I learned. That's a great way to learn. And I did not immediately stop believing everything. This okay. Is, I think this is an important note in these stories. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like I ran into James Randi and then... Right. Everything was fine. You touched the hem of his garment and the power went from out of him. (laughs) Right. And he said, who has touched my cloak? My well-worn haunting story that everyone on this show knows about was Mm -hmm. after that. You know, like, Mm -hmm. these are not like clean lines of progress, but but this was an important data point. Yeah, a seed has been planted, another data point evolves. And I think that's why James Randi has been so successful because he was so good at getting on so many different shows and so much media. And so you'd see him one way or another. And then, you know, if you do that YouTube deep dive and it's super fun just watching James Randi clips, you're like, yeah. hearing him describe things because he is naturally entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll make all these little clever digs that he has uh, on these various people. And they're, they're always like, oh, zing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then he'll also do a live demonstration. He can do it himself. Wow, you're mm-hmm. a wizard. By the way, we haven't described him yet, but he's got a, oh, yeah. a big white beard. Oh, yeah, 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 Christmas. Very distinctive. So, right. part, part of the reason we decided to do this now is because he freaking looked like Santa. Yeah, so we thought, hey, well, let's talk about him around Christmas time. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good time to do it. Uh, but also, he would get confused for Charles Darwin. Uh-huh. And, uh, confused for <laughs> Yeah. I think he had like a story about going to the Galapagos and meeting oh, okay, the okay. turtle who actually had met Charles oh, Darwin. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if that was Lonesome George. I think so. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I forget oh, the name, but cool. it was a turtle that had definitely met or tortoise, I guess, who had met uh-huh. Charles Darwin and was like, oh, that that guy's back. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, what the turtle said. I think that was the joke, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's entertaining, fun to watch, and then you just keep watching these, and he, one by one, just kind of disabuses you of things that you thought might have been possible, and then you realize, like, oh, okay, it's kind of a scam, you know, when people mm-hmm. do that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one you mentioned is psychic healing. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that clip and being like, whoa, I don't know if I even knew beforehand. Do you that. mean the surgery? Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. The actual like psychic surgery where someone is supposed to like dip their fingers inside of you and remove tumors and cancers. And... But you don't even feel it. There's no incision mark. Right. And it turns out they're palming a chicken's guts in their hands. Yeah. And, and a that's little, why. A little blood packet. And so, yeah, it's a sleight of hand thing. And then I remember watching. 
watching James Randi demonstrate like how he would bring mm-hmm. his hand down as a blade and then all of a sudden do a quick motion where it looks like his hand has gone far into the person's abdomen. Like the skin has suddenly given way in such a way that the hand fell in. Right. And the skin is pliable enough that he's able to push down, but he's also just kind of gone to his knuckles now and they're yeah. hiding away he's, from the camera. He's forced that sudden movement. And he's got a packet of blood that he's broken. And so you see blood oozing out and you're like, whoa. But then after he pulls out the chicken guts and stuff that he's got hiding in a false thumb... Then he can like clean it all up with gauze and like, wow, look, it's all perfectly healed. Miraculous. Mm -hmm. So people like John of God would perform this. Uh, He did that famously down in Brazil. So for me, seeing Randy do that, it was like, wow, it was just so such a real solid concrete example. Yeah. And it really stuck with me. Because as long as these people's whole point is... I couldn't have done this without Mm -hmm. psychic power. I couldn't have done this without God. I couldn't have done this without a miracle. If that's the claim, all we need is one guy to say, I did it without all that stuff. Yeah, and that's sufficient to kind of blow up that whole idea. Uh, Another TV special that I'll recommend, if you've already watched An Honest Liar, you can look on YouTube for a James Randi special called Exploring Psychic Powers Live. And it was all done live there's some big technical glitches and stuff but it's oh fun i don't think i've seen this it's an amazing variety show and the whole time i was watching it just thinking like wow like this was amazing tv like Mm. we never see anything like this anymore oh my goodness what about like darren brown how would it compare to like one of his um because you know he does those like magic i'm fooling you intentionally i'm teaching you something about your brain but i'm also giving you the wrong explanations for how i'm doing this yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's right it it just felt less schlocky than that i guess to me yeah fair Uh, but it was just it was an amazing variety show it opens at stonehenge they've got like footage of randy dresses uh, damn randy like a wizard and uh, levitating a woman but then like they have all of these live demonstrations of people trying their psychic powers including sylvia brown the psychic she comes up and makes a really awkward performance in front of a bunch of people and uri geller who comes out and is like kind of in real time countermanded by james randy who so explains weird. what he just did it's like how did he Get them to agree to do that on live TV. Oh, we, yeah, we should figure that out. <laughs> yeah. There's a story there. Yeah, it was amazing. So, I will you send been... me that clip? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think if he were alive today, yeah, the number one thing he would want to get people to do is make a website where they share maybe interesting clips. Yes, of James Randi or whatever they're interested in. No, I think he'd want them to make websites about him. Well, how would they do that? Squarespace. 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 Oh my god. I don't know why I wasn't even thinking about it. But yeah, Mm -hmm. they actually sponsored this episode. And it's a great place to build a website because you don't need to download special software. It's all there in the browser. It's a website that lets you make a website. Whoa. What? And it's they're all optimized for mobile. They've Mm -hmm. got all these great templates you can use to make your site beautiful without having to put in a ton of design acumen. Because you've been to the website where you've been like, whoopsie. This is embarrassing. Why did Claudia even start this website? Mm This will be like, oh, Claudia is busy, but her website looks good. Yeah. She doesn't have like, uh, it doesn't look like an angel fire site from (laughs) the late 90s with a bunch of spinning animated GIFs. Right. There's no bears at the bottom doing a two-dimensional dance to the love connection. None of their templates uses Comic Sans font. Right. 
exactly. This is just pretty. It just looks good. Or maybe you do want to write a bunch and you want to do a bunch of upkeep and you want to make it really complicated. Squarespace can handle that and it'll still look great. They'll even help you make videos. There's the Squarespace Video Studio app, which helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Plus, you can add an online booking and scheduling widget for your classes or sessions to your Squarespace website, and then all your clients can see when you're available, they can reschedule, it just makes life easier. That's so cool. So head to squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, what offer code should they use, Ross? That would be the offer code ohno, O-H-N-O, to save 10% off their first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. We only make James Randi websites. I think yours was the right one. No, that was good too. Okay, yeah. They have so many log lines there or mottos. Yeah, but they're all equally good. They are. Well, speaking of writing, James Randi also wrote several books. I have a copy here of Flim Flam. This is a book that I actually only read in its uh, complete form within the past year, but I'm glad I did. But, you know, it was full of greater details of many of the stories that I got to hear him tell Mm -hmm. uh, as stories, like conducting an investigation of dowsing abilities. Mm. Uh, That was a fascinating story. We did a dowsing episode. Yeah. And uh, with the CFIIG, I've conducted dowsing tests of uh, dowsers. So, you know, he'll talk about like his protocols or also it was so funny while we were doing our pyridine investigation, I was reading this and I turn a page and there's a woman wearing a pyramid hat that looks like uh. identical to the one we're wearing. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I guess there's only a few ways to make a pyramid hat, but there still. It is. Sue Wallace, wow. doctor of magnetotherapy. I'm sure it's all true. As she was tested with the $10,000 prize at stake. <laughs> The wire contraption on her head is a magic pyramid. Aw. Yeah, so this prize thing is important. I don't want to lose it. Um, Yes. The prize grew as time went on. Somebody gave a million dollars towards this prize, and then that money was held in trust, and Randy would do a lot just with the interest off of that million dollars. Yeah, so he started offering a million dollars and really broadening what would count. Like, at first it was like, okay, if you're really psychic... I'll test you. Okay, if you, you know, I've seen this specific person do this specific trick that they're claiming Mm -hmm. is powers. I'm going to ask them if they want to do the challenge. And after a while, he was like, okay, listen, if you can do anything paranormal, write to us and we'll come up with a test with you. And if you pass it, we'll give you a million dollars. And still, nobody passed this dang thing. And of course, Randy had really clever ways to describe his challenge. You know, he'd say, if you can levitate, all right, let's have you jump out the window. (laughs) (laughs) See what happens. Uh, This challenge, which, yeah, rose and over time eventually became the million dollar challenge, uh, just stuck in the public's consciousness. And whenever I'm telling someone about James Randi, all I have to do is mention the million dollar prize and they'll be like, oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 What it told everybody was that there's a million dollars out there for someone who could do this. And you always just kind of assume in the back of your head, oh, there's someone in the hinterland, somewhere in a hut that has this magical ability. Mm -hmm. And we just haven't found them. But a million dollars kind of calls them out and says, hey, if you can actually do it. Give uh, this to charity. Right, exactly. And then people would try to counter. Many prominent psychics did like, oh, I don't need a million dollars. Okay, but I'm sure you can think of somebody who would benefit from the million dollars if you can just so easily heal somebody and earn it. Take a million dollars from James freaking Randy, who you probably despise. 
win-win. And give it to one of these like psychics promoting cancer treatments that you think are real. That's another really important point. You're taking that money away from the guy that you think is this mean-spirited debunker. Yeah. Of course, to many of those ideological adversaries, Randy was seen as like a mean angry person and they try to write him off as such but as we'll talk about later when you actually meet randy uh not so much angry but not mean (laughs) there we go (laughs) i I didn't even see him angry okay Uh, i mean pissy he was you know like i mean in a sort of glorious old man way yeah in a funny way right yeah Yeah. when he would write he would have these like kind of little cutting phrases and stuff but on a personal level again we'll talk more about that later but uh yeah he seemed more avuncular and sweet yeah yeah but Uh, like did i have several conversations with them about how they don't fill chip bags up enough okay yes well he's pissy i'm with him on that (laughs) okay fair enough all the men in my life all they want to talk about is whether the chip bags have enough chips in them you see what i gotta do carrie let's talk about this because it's gone down (laughs) over time i swear like you can excuse some of this like oh you'll go to a different altitude and you don't want it to explode oh my god it's (laughs) softening all over again I had this actual conversation with him in Boulder, Colorado, because the chip bags had expanded a bunch. And he was like, you see, you see how much extra energy is in here? It's like, oh, my God, Randy, we'll get you two bags of chips. I'm glad I could provide that little flashback for you. Uh, we were talking about his books, though. Um, oh, yes, his books. So Flim Flam, I think, was probably the best known, but also the truth mm. about Uri Geller. Oh, interesting. I would have thought the Faith Healers was the best known. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so well. that's the one off of which. Leap of Faith, starring Steve Martin, is based. Oh, fun. That's cool. I also own a copy of The Mask of Nostradamus. I think I have that somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I was reading that before uh, an episode where we talked about Nostradamus. An encyclopedia of claims, frauds, and hoaxes. That's a good one. Of the occult and supernatural. I have that one as well, and I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a resource book, but Mm -hmm. I love a good resource book. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, quick, let's see what his entry is on this particular phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Purely in photography or whatever. Right. Exactly. And it's going to be a little dated. Came out in 95. But yeah, really good. Also, James Randi, Psychic Investigator. The Magic World of James Randi. Test your ESP potential. Houdini, His Life and Art. Ooh, that would be fun to read. I didn't know James Randi wrote that one. Oh, Conjuring. That's another book by him. So, uh, yeah, prolific guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody says that, like, if you wrote him, he would write you back on his Mm -hmm. typewriter. He was, well, or later email. You know, he's, like, constantly engaged in uh, communication. And uh, just had kind of an ethic of his generation, I think, about correspondence Mm -hmm. uh, that was Mm -hmm. very um, attentive. Uh, Speaking of generations, I also really recommend, if you don't, I I grew up without grandparents. And if you never had a close relationship with someone who is a generation to two older than you, I think it's a really important Mm. thing. Yeah, to see just kind of the difference in approach to the world. Yeah, and it has kept me from being too legalistic about my elders. Mm. If they don't get something that I think I get, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't understand some social progress that was easy for me to understand. (laughs) Why can't they? I'll think of Randy or yeah mm-hmm. or, or one other relative but I'll think of these people with whom I have these these relationships and go like oh right this is like a different form of privilege this is the mm-hmm. privilege of being born later oh that's a good way of saying it yeah. yeah yeah because if we with our same DNA were born 
at the same time as them, yeah. we would also be raised in that milieu. And if they had been conversely raised with us, they would also be expressing right. in very similar ways. Yep. Um, but you see people with kind of different natural proclivities kind of fill their niche for their generation. Totally. So challengers and activists, you know, they'll still be that, but <laughs> responding to what they were uh, raised with. So yeah. I like I like your way of saying that. So I worked for him in 2012. I only worked for him for six months. Not even for him, for his organization. But so I worked with him. The, the James the Randi Educational, Educational Foundation. Foundation. Or the JREF. Very bad six months of my life. But very little of it had to do with Randy. But one of the things that I always remember is that he was struggling like mm. with what was happening in that movement which i'll call organized skepticism mm -hmm. like there was a division happening over feminism mm -hmm. the structure and size of it kind of doesn't matter to the story but he was he was struggling with like being told that this culture had problems and agreeing with some of those articulations and not with others mm -hmm. and okay but most of my younger friends are telling me something and i don't want to write all of them off which is to his credit yep and also I think I know something that you guys don't know, mm. and I want to express that to you, but I don't want to do that in a dick way. And those conversations were like, were really helpful for me in how I deal with with people mm. across mm -hmm. these issues. But one thing he would do that I could have stored as a terrible story, but decided to store as a great story, mm. is that he would tell me so often... <laughs> That when he met me, he wrote me off because I was pretty. That he, oh. he and he's a gay guy, mm -hmm. was a gay guy. But he, he definitely just grew up at a time where like, if you see a woman and she's even a little bit attractive, you tell her, right? Oh, yeah. You're uh -huh. supposed to tell her. That's nice. The most important piece of information to communicate <laughs> at that moment. Right. So when I first met him, he would just constantly be like, well, Carrie's in the room. So like, let's, let's ask her because like beauty bucks brains. You know, oh, no. Like that would be so yeah. annoying. But then I can like, hear him saying that though. <laughs> But then, you know, I just kept doing my work and he realized like, oh, my God, like I have this like gem in the You're office smart too. who's yeah, who's smart and who's like kind of picking up the package for everybody else. Mm. And he started like saying those things and saying like, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, Carrie. But when I first saw you, I was like, oh, uh, you know, they hired like another like cute blonde or whatever. But she's not going to get anything. Done. But he faced that about mm -hmm. his own reaction yeah, and yeah. decided to tell me. And I could just store all of that as the first two months of the story where yeah. he was saying all the things that don't age well or I could have mm -hmm. stored the second half yeah. and I decided to care more about the second half I like that, that's that's gracious and uh, but I think also an accurate reflection it, in my mind I think of it as kind of like the Billy Elliot effect like when the father finally shows approval for his son at the very mm. end after all of the struggle and angst and everything it, like it means more because mm. it's seen in contrast to this nadir of his right. inability to handle a son who just wants to dance and mm -hmm. dress up and hang out with other boys who do the same. Yeah. So it's always nice to see someone come around when they didn't maybe get something right off the bat. Right, That's yeah. That's an interesting story. It was funny because when I first met James Randi, and I think I can date that to 2005, mm. May 13th, 2005. This, okay, here it is. The Skeptic Society had put on a brain, mind, and consciousness seminar 
And James Randi was one of the speakers there. You know, I was attending all their lectures and I had just gotten out of Christianity thanks to these various talks that I went to. And I didn't know who James Randi was before my involvement with the Skeptic Society. But now, you know, getting to meet this guy, that was a big deal. Anyways, what you had reminded me of there was that freshly out of Christianity, my brain just still wasn't used to thinking of like, people can be gay. You know, like mm. it was, I, I hadn't known an out gay person until I got to college. Damn. And uh, I remember James Randi would very often, like in his talks, he would find some way to allude to Sophia Loren and how beautiful she was. <laughs> and I remember for a long time thinking like, oh, we need to get together and reach out to her and see if she'd be willing to like surprise him sometime. I, I kept thinking in the back of my mind, oh, I'd like to make that happen for James Randi. And then I can't remember when the reveal happened, but at some point someone mentioned that he was gay and I went, Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We still got to get Sophia <laughs> Loren. <laughs> like, yeah, that was my first thought. Like, does he still want to see Sophia Loren? He seems <laughs> to have a lot of regard for her, but maybe not the regard I thought. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. Um, but uh, yeah, the first time I, I met him there at that conference, I, remember I was wearing a, a camera, a digital SLR camera, kind of uh, whatever was current back in 2005. And so he started talking to me about photography. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is so cool. Like, oh, James yeah. Randi is talking to me about photography. So, fun moment. Love it. I'm Jordan Cruciola, the host of Feeling Scene, where we talk about the movie characters that make us feel seen. And I'm the show's producer, Marissa. Jordan, you've interviewed so many directors, actors, writers, film critics, and I like to play this little game where I take a sip of coffee every time someone says, that's such a great question. That's such a fabulous question. Or they tell you how smart you are. I think that you are rather brilliant. And of course, the big one is, when, when they, they cry, cry unexpectedly. unexpectedly, yes, yes. Jordan, I don't want to cry on your podcast. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> cry. I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry. <sighs> Feeling Seen comes out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Listen already. What are you waiting for? Jordan, that's such a great question. <laughs> Hal Lublin here with breaking news on a revolutionary form of entertainment, professional wrestling. For more, we go to our correspondent, Danielle Radford. Professional wrestling is the craze that's sweeping the nation, featuring fisticuffs and colorful costumes. But who can help us make sense of this world of body slams? Lindsay Kelk has the answer. Sources tell us of an amazing podcast called Tights and Fights, filled with discussions of the absurdity of professional wrestling, plus all the sincerity and hilarity that you could shake a stick at. Listen to the Tights and Fights podcast every week. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And your old-timey radio. Well, I wrote down a list of things I remember when I think of Randy. You want to hear him? Sure. Okay. He was ambivalent a lot. He would express positions with equal fervor and not seem to notice. <laughs> okay, but this is the opposite of what you told me last Tuesday. Oh, okay. He just sort of had that that quality about him. But I don't know. It's charming. Um, he contains multitudes. Yeah. He was always aware of his age, mm -hmm. always talking about it. He would remark on it like a few times a week, like... I don't know, half of the conversations I'd be talking to him, he would mention like, well, I'm old. And so you <laughs> need to X, Y, Z. It was just, it was very present mm, for him that okay. he was old. But it also made it really hard to make him the butt of a joke. Ah. There was like a, I'm noticing that I'm old. He so you're not going to use it, it against me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, okay. uh, yeah, kind of clever that way. He's also one of the only people besides religious figures that I've been around where you could feel reverence in the room. Mm. Mm -hmm. People would be around him and would be like, Randy's 
here. I want to make a good impression. That's a good observation. Yeah. Oh, we're very attentive of our positioning and Mm -hmm. (laughs) how we're creating a space for him. Yeah, I've seen that in action for sure. I guess also celebrities. This here's one of my favorite memories. I traveled with him to upstate New York. We were both speaking at Camp Inquiry, this kid's summer camp. Hmm. Oh, you've probably heard of it. I have. Well, it's not Camp Quest. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I put those in the same spot in my head. Oh, one of your competitors. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I I spoke there. So did Randy. We were there a couple days. We had a bunch of breakfast together. We're we're riding together in a taxi. About three days in, I'm sitting next to Randy in this big room with tons of kids and their parents. And this man comes and sits next to Randy and says, just loud enough for me to hear, hey, uh, is that Carrie Poppy? And Randy looks at him and says, I don't know. What? We had been traveling together for like four days. And he didn't know your name? I don't know if he didn't actually know or his humor was so dry. (laughs) He just thought like, I'm just going to say I don't know and see what happens. Maybe he's protecting you from (laughs) an admirer. I don't know, but it was so percussive too. It was like, I don't know. (laughs) And the guy just looked at him and was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> sort of <laughs> Maybe wandered off, and I still wonder who that guy was. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But you were there to hear it. Yeah, I was. I could just barely hear him. He thought he was whispering below my hearing, but <laughs> <Okay>. he wasn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, I could hear Randy. He he responded. But you didn't chase this guy loudly. down and be like, "I am." Yeah, <laughs> tis that, I that you have come seeking. <laughs> my friend is weird. I am Gary Poppy. <laughs> So he was weird about libertarian shit. Oh, yeah. I remember he once got in an online kerfuffle because uh, I think he'd been listening to some libertarian talking points and he expressed doubt about anthropogenic global warming. Yeah. And all the community just rained down with all the lack of grace you might expect Uh, upon him for getting that wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... That was ugly to see. I think every community has certain favorite mental hiccups. Mm -hmm. And one of organized skepticisms is that it has a lot of people who are like very weird about climate change but like if you're going to gather certain types of people in a room Mm -hmm. you're going to have some of those hiccups that just surprise you and for that community that was one of them and i just um, hated that reaction it's like okay yeah i'm sure he's fought his whole life for rationality he got something wrong don't come down on him like a ton of bricks yeah yeah and people did but he was weird about that stuff like he would he would talk a lot about how he didn't like drink and stuff and i'd be like that's cool randy but he he took it with sort of religious fervor it was uh, it had become an important talking point for him that he wants to see life as accurately and clearly as he possibly can so he's never smoked he's never had a drop of alcohol and that's interesting i didn't even think of that as a particularly libertarian thing though i know other libertarians who do that as well yeah you're right that's just an association on my part often Um, a religious thing or like uh a mormon thing but it was just a very different rationale for abstaining You're right. I don't. Yeah, I wonder if the data even bears this out. But I guess most of my libertarian friends have also been. I can think of some examples. Yeah. Who are kind of the same way. For me, I'm a kind of a do everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. Kind of people. Yeah. You need to have experiences too. too. One attitude that Randy had always kind of rubbed me strangely, Mm. which was he obviously respected expertise and scientists, but he also had this kind of slightly anti-intellectual bent 
And I remember mm. one thing he would say in particular was that when you get a PhD, all of a sudden, you know, you realize you never have to admit you were wrong again. Oh, interesting. And he had, he had a very succinct way to say it, as he always did sure. for everything. He had a, a pithy statement yeah. of that. But, you know, getting a PhD a means, PhD confers yeah, you, the end of thought. Yeah, yeah. You never have to <laughs> admit you were wrong. Uh, and I always just thought that was strange lying alongside his friendship yeah. with so many experts mm-hmm. in their so relative PhDs. fields. Yeah. Um, but he himself didn't have any advanced schooling or anything like that. So I, I think that was maybe just uh, an occasional argument for street smarts over mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the ivory tower. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could find lots of PhDs who would uh, who could fit the bill. Absolutely. Not, not all. Not most. But some. But some. So when I worked at the JREF, one thing that became apparent to me is that he really saw his legacy as his books. Mm. Not as the JREF, not as the conferences we put on. Or even all the video specials. Yeah. Okay. So I was the director of communications for the org. And I I did media training with him, I think, twice. And I just remember being like, Randy, I just need you to at least mention the organization. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if someone asks you about your legacy... Just even mention in your list that the JRF exists. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I'm asking. That's all I need from you. That's hilarious. Um, but when he would get, you know, when he would sort of be waxing poetic about his legacy, it would be the books. So hmm, if you wow. really want to know Randy's thoughts, that's where you should go. Okay. And and they're fun to read, uh, you know, also just interesting to hear his exploits because he's one of those people who just lives a really interesting life. And mm-hmm. it's fun to hear him talk about it. But I noticed like in Flim Flam, he'll also have that trenchant humor that he'll just constantly uh, employ to great effect. You know, it's quite biting and I think it's of his time. But yeah. it's, um, I don't know, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons that Randy liked me and that like Randy and I had something in common when we had lots not in common is that we both had like the vibe of TikTok from Peter Pan. Oh, okay. Like, like I'm I'm just <laughs> the, sitting in wait to get the villain. <laughs> Okay. And I think we both Ba-da-dum, found that position very fun and funny. That's me and James Randy. I love it. Yeah, but yeah, the the word that like comes to mind with him is indignant. Like he really he had a sense of dignity about the truth, and he would feel indignant, pissed off at insincerity in the mm, world. Mm-hmm. I feel more defiant, but he feels indignant. That's funny. I was just watching a little short the other day called Back to Neverland that mm. I think you would like. It was Walter Cronkite uh, oh, I love Walter Cronkite. leading a tour of like the Florida Disney Studios. And Robin Williams just shows up and he gets turned into an animated character, like a little lost boy, essentially, and flies into Neverland. And uh, there was just a great moment where Captain Hook was threatening the Robin Williams character. And he had Tinkerbell go behind him and put fairy dust on TikTok, who then rises up in the air behind Captain Hook and then attacks him. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. And then chases him off into the sunset. And I actually, I really love Walter Cronkite. He's on my wall. Your wall to (laughs) Cronk. Well, then I got to show you this. You're going to love it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's great. Okay. Four more one sentence things about Randy. Okay. Um, so he could not use email to save his life. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he would write people back, but like it was a lot Conceptually, of- Conceptually. A lot of IT. He's more comfortable with his typewriter. Yeah, I guess that's right. But just a lot of like, okay, can someone sign on Skype with Randy? He can't get into his Gmail again. You know. Wow. A lot of that stuff. Now he's got to get he on Skype. Old. Sure. Uh, this is one of my favorite insider bits of information. He kept giving himself new middle names. And I was like, Randy, I 
gotta get you to stop this. Okay, because his birth name was already a Randall James Zwingi, I believe. Yeah, I, Hamilton Zwinga. Zwinga. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Z W I N G E. I see okay, that. Yeah, Zwinga. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. It was said something like Zwingi or something. But new middle names. Okay, so here was his theory, What's going and on? I think his theory was right, but his fix was very bad. <laughs> his theory was when I buy something from, say, Amazon. I get added to all these marketing lists, and I want to know the route through which oh, I'm getting on these marketing lists. And I'm going to use this to track yeah. what the leak was. This sounds so randy. Oh, my God. It was the bane of my existence <laughs> for six months. <laughs> because Oh, my God. Because he would then... Want to create he, a spreadsheet of all of the names and who he sent no, them to? Oh, my God. That would have been great. Uh, no, he would... It's a good test. Yeah. he No, he would want to book airline travel, let's say. And then he'd be like, oh. Carrie, I don't know what my middle name is for United. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. Your, your middle name is James. I don't know. <laughs> this just happened constantly. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Speaking of the TikTok approach and sort of this messing around, at the last uh, SciCon conference that I went to in October, there was a really nice panel about the life of James Randi. Mm. Um, but one of the fun anecdotes was from Taylor Meacham, who was one of the uh, directors on that movie, An Honest Liar. And he said that one thing that they had to cut out was that James Randi told the story that for years, as a magician, every morning he would open his wallet, throw out a little piece of paper, chop it up into tiny little bits, and then he'd <laughs> take out a new one and he would write, I, James Randi, will die today and list the date. <laughs> And then the oh, next, so the next day, he'd throw that one out. I wonder out, if he really did that, but I believe it. I, yeah, I, I want to believe. But it. apparently, he stopped doing it around like his fifties or sixties because he's like, ah, now it's less interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. We persistence. should do that. And that's the core of magic too. It's going to so much trouble yes. that no one would ever. Sus- they would think it's more likely that you broke the laws of physics than some weirdo <laughs> mm-hmm. would do this thing every mm-hmm. day for years on end. Oh my god! I think that every time I watch Tyler Henry. The Hollywood medium. Oh, okay. He's this young man whose entire thing is like, but I don't watch TV, so I don't know anything about celebrities. Mm -hmm. So if I go and give readings to celebrities and get them right... (sighs) Then oh. that proves that I'm psychic. Oh, and wow. I'm like, all this takes is you to turn on a TV one time. Yeah. One time. Read a Wikipedia article. Yeah. Yeah. What's um, more likely? Yeah. You're making shit up. Amazing. Okay. So also, speaking of names, he would call me Sadie a fair amount because my predecessor's name was Sadie, but that's oh. okay. Um, oh, yeah. Sadie Crabtree. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. And he would also accidentally Skype call me a fair amount where, you know, I'd just be sitting there and I'd get boop, 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 turn it on. Oh, there's Randy, but he's looking the wrong way. Are we, does he know oh, we're having a conversation? It's like a butt dial, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Get, get a fair amount of that. But it would always be really fun because it was a real hellhole place to work. And suddenly, just like your hero would just be on the screen <laughs> and, you know, be eating pasta or whatever. And he was, was able great. to remain your hero through that experience. Yeah, yeah, mostly. A hero yeah, mostly. With, with flaws. Totally, which again, like I think I think is healthy. You know, you hear these like don't meet your heroes things. And I'm like, oh, no, maybe, meet your heroes. Maybe cha- Absolutely meet them. Maybe change your conception of what a hero is all about. Yeah, yeah. Because if you 
Because if the, how are you going to live up to that? Right, right. If the entry point for being a hero is being a perfect person across all aspects of your life and being a delight to be with all the time, you know, or even being a good person, none of us are going to cut it. Yeah, none of us are good people across all aspects of our life and all behaviors. Yeah, yeah. even that's not true. Sometimes you are a piece of shit person listening to this. Sometimes you suck ass. Yeah. 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 And not everybody knows that about you, but if they get real close to you, they're going to find out. Yep. Yeah. So be scared. And meet your heroes. And meet your heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my heroes is in my arms right now. Aww. It's Ella Poppy and she's snoring really loud. Yeah. I don't know if anyone can hear it. Oh, hey, welcome. Oh, woke her up. Woke her up. Well, we're talking about the James Randi Educational Foundation. I think another important thing to mention is TAM, the The Amazing Amazing Meeting. Meeting. Yeah, this, this was huge for me in my development as a skeptic, as a critical thinker, because there was this annual conference held out in Las Vegas, the most non rational, critical thinking <laughs> city, maybe in the world, but certainly in, in the United States. In a casino. States. In a casino. Yeah, which <laughs> Where is just. No one would gamble. So funny. For like a week. Yeah, um, it's funny. Uh, I've always been able to do that same sort of uh, thing that we were just talking about. Like James Randi could always piously say, I haven't drunk a, a mm. drop of alcohol. I could also say, up until very recently, I've never gambled. Oh, wow. And uh, this last time when I was at SciCon, which is kind of the successor to TAM, Mm -hmm. another annual conference now held in October instead of, uh, I think it was July or thereabout-ish for um, TAM. Anyway, so my friend Alice Vaughn was offering a tour to some of us of Vegas. And she led an amazing tour. She's been living there for like half a year and she knew everything and all the history. It was great. But she asked, hey, you want to go gambling? I said, well, Okay, let's try it. I've never done this before. It's like, okay, well, let's get you started on craps. So we're there at the craps table, and she's like trying to teach me the rules, along with uh, two other friends of ours, Hannah and Aaron, who had also never gambled before. Anyway, so we're watching her trying to learn all the terms and these convoluted rules. Like, oh, okay, I put my poker chips here. I don't know. Have you ever played craps? Mm-mm. Okay. Anyway, so it was complicated, but I was starting to learn the rules a bit. And then Alice just had this great series of throws and I just kept moving poker chips around and money kept coming back to me. And I turned like $160 into $480. Oh like, shit. I tripled my money. You gotta stop now. Yeah, right. And I was like, good after that. Like, okay, I play gambling, but you know, I also know enough statistics to know yeah. I, I'm not lucky. <laughs> right, right. The universe does not smile upon me. It's just, you know, I had a good night. Yeah. So that was fun. Not ongoingly lucky. Eventually there will be a regression to the mean, so I'll quit it while I'm ahead. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. And and of course, there's a responsible way to gamble where you say, this is the amount of money that I've chosen to spend tonight. Sure. That's it. And I'll stop. So uh, anyways, that was fun. And I can no longer claim that. But we were talking about- My friend Caroline has never had ketchup. Does she dislike like vinegar-based condiments mm-hmm. or is it just- I don't think so. She just refuses just, to- She says one time in elementary school, it came up and all of the other kids were like, whoa, you never had ketchup? And she was oh, so excited by that yeah. that she was like, I will never eat ketchup. And she hasn't. That's so funny. Okay, I'm getting distracted again. But like <laughs> recently, I just watched Stargate for the first time, Okay, which was weird because I loved- Independence Day, same director, like the next movie they made was Independence Day. But I was bitter at Stargate, low these many years, because in sixth or seventh grade, I wrote a short story about this like Egyptian society and space travel. I don't know. I I can't even remember what my story was about. But everybody else who encountered it said, oh, kind of like Stargate. And I was like, fuck Stargate. I don't know what it is, but I hate it. (laughs) So I just finally watched it maybe like a couple months ago. How was it? Yeah, fine. Not as good as yours. Not as good as, uh, certainly not as good as Independence Day, but it's fine. But it wasn't as good as yours. No, of course not, which I don't remember at all. But (laughs) 
Anyway, so we were talking about The Amazing Meeting. Yeah. So I think my first one was TAM 6. Okay. So they were numbered and they would happen annually out in the desert. I think maybe there was like a TAM Australia thrown in or some mm. other like off-cycle yeah. TAMs. But yeah, I went to that for many years with good friends, met a lot of amazing people within the skeptical community. And it was just a great place to like hear a lot of authors talk about their latest findings and uh, a wide range of topics. And it was just so intellectually stimulating, but also super fun hanging out with these uh, skeptical friends in Vegas. Yeah, uh, my experience of Tam was more up and down than yours. Yeah. Because there were all these other social factors going on. And one happened while you were working for the JREF. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make this too bummer of an episode, but I know we're also like dancing around this thing. But like, but yeah, it just, that whole... Sorry, I'm trying to make this short for people, but like that whole feminist schism thing just just created like a lot of turmoil for everybody. Yeah, uh, that's the most neutral way I can put it. We kind of had is true. We had our Me Too movement sort of six years before the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And yeah, so that was all going on, and I'm touching my face just remembering it. Yeah. but <laughs> but nevertheless, I think. Lots of people who went on to have very interesting careers and Mm -hmm. do their own thing in different ways. Like you can see their early talks and stuff that were recorded at TAM. And that's pretty neat. It did like sort of spur and inspire a lot of professionals. Yeah. And they would try to work to bring in people who might not be able to afford tickets or like let them give talks. Like me, like, my, the first time I went in, yeah. I ha- I got the very prestigious $100 blotter prize. Yeah. Do you oh. remember that? <laughs> no. I, <laughs> so I, I, was, I was incredibly poor, like couldn't afford food. And the cost, I think, was $400. And I was like, I think, I think if I fight hard, I can get together 200 And so you were like, okay, well, can I give you the rest? And I was like, huh. no, no, I'd feel too bad. I'd feel too bad. And you're like, what if it's like, <laughs> like, I give you like a scholarship because I think you are someone who should go. And so you gave me the $100 blotcher prize. (laughs) Well, a well-deserved blotcher prize. You've more than earned it. That's awesome. But yeah, like for a lot of people, this was the meeting where they really got to feel part of this movement and get energized to go out and confront bad ideas in many forms when they encountered them. Yeah. And and we had a lot of internal turmoil trying to figure out. What does that look like? Yeah, exactly. How does that play out in the social sphere? Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that was really meaningful to me. And, you know, every time you got to see James Randi. He would be there. And uh, in 2011, we did this big fun thing that uh, Susan Gerbic coordinated of having a <laughs> James Randi beard photo. Yeah. And we've talked to Susan Gerbic on the show before a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows James Randi far better than than I did or than most people did. Uh, so she'd have amazing stories to tell about him all day. But um, anyway, so we were kind of doing this through the, uh, the IIG at the time, now CFIIG, the Independent Investigations Group. Now the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group. Um, and so we sold all of these James Randi beards, these fake beards, and then people would wear them and show up. And there was over 100 of us who took a big group mm-hmm. photo with James Randi. I'll post it on the, the Facebook page. And, um, and you and I are standing next to each other. Yeah, we're, we're at the very back right. So if you find that photo now, you can uh, see us. And James Randi's in the front with his real beard. Had we Super started fun. our podcast yet in that photo? We had just started it months ago. Okay, okay. And that was the conference where Richard Saunders interviewed us for the Skeptic Zone podcast. 
Richard. Yeah, he our was, first interview. Yeah, the first person who was like, hey, I've listened to your episodes and this I want to cool. interview you yeah, yeah. and feature you on my awesome show, which was fantastic. But yeah, there's a lot of good, fun people in that picture and good memories. And I enjoyed photoshopping out all the people milling in the background. Uh, so I got to have part in that too. Good memory. Yeah. Nice. Also, I've been mentioning the IIG, CFIIG. The Paranormal Investigations Group here. That I'm part of, right. Yeah. Uh, one fun thing that we were able to do in 2008, uh, we were able to give James Randi an award. And, uh-huh. and that was actually kind of a, a big thing because he had had a split with Psychop back in the day over... Related group. The, the one we talked about that he kind of co-founded with. I think it was like Isaac Asimov, Ray Hyman, and Carl Sagan, and Paul Kurtz. Uh, maybe I'm missing or adding a name there, but... Looking this up, B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner. Skinner. Philip Class. Wow. Okay. UFO investigator. Martin Gardner, Carl Sagan. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Esteemed group of people. Yeah. With Paul Kurtz. Anyways, they had had a falling out because they didn't want him to mention Uri Geller anymore. At least that's James <laughs> Randi's luck. telling of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he like, you know, left in a, in a rage oh, and yeah. you know, was no longer part of that group. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so this checks out having this award in 2008 was kind of seen Aww. as sort of a, a rejoining, uh, mending offenses, uh, you know, Aww, hey, yeah. hey, we're all on the same side again. Yeah. 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 Uh, Our pissy friends back. Yeah. <laughs> we love him. <laughs> and so for the independent investigations group, of course, Anytime I would try to explain to someone what our initially $5,000 prize became 10000 became, you know, like it kept increasing $25,000, yeah. $50,000, $100,000 prize, $250,000 prize. Anytime I would tell people about it, they'd be like, oh, that's so cool that you test people who make these claims and give them a chance to demonstrate their abilities and design a test they consider fair. And if they'd heard anything like that, they would say, oh, like the million dollar prize. Oh, yeah. And I'd say, oh, absolutely. And depending on what time it was for a while, we were just the more active test and kind of easier to like kind of get through or apply for or qualify for. Eventually, the million dollar prize stopped operating actively in yeah. uh, 2015, I think. And so then the IIG was the CFIIG now is sort of the biggest game in town. But but even all along, then we served as like a qualifying test. So if you passed our test, that would then automatically qualify mm. you to apply for the million dollar prize yeah. as well. So for a very long time, our prize has been $250,000. Serious cash. But now the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group, just this is fresh news, Carrie, hot off the presses. Okay. Is now offering half a million dollars. Hell! $500,000. half million dollar prize. half million dollar prize. So there you go. If you've got... Friends or loved ones or people that you know from work who have paranormal abilities. Send them in. Send them in. We'll test them. Okay. And the structure of it is like, you won't necessarily get tested, right? You're applying to be tested. Right. You apply. So you go to cfiig.org and then you submit an application. Let us know what your ability is, how you found out about it. There's just a few details we want to know up front. And then uh, we follow up with you and see, well, is this testable? Is it something that we could arrive at a agreed upon test? Yeah. And uh, I bet a lot of things fall apart right there. Yeah. Falsifiability is a tricky little mistress, isn't she? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. In 2020, I think this is representative. We had 75 people apply. Okay. And, you know, we had communications with all of them. Out of those, nice. four were tested Whoa. in the year. Yeah. And then 
four of those failed. And so 71. Okay, do some quick math. So that's that's zero, zero percent who passed? Success rate, correct. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and then 71 withdrew for various reasons. Either they stopped responding or we just couldn't oh, find, they withdrew. A, okay. find an agreed upon protocol. Oftentimes it's just they stop responding after a while. Or sometimes we'll tell them, maybe try a preliminary test yourself. Here's how you yeah. can do it at home or with friends. And then we won't hear back. Or sometimes we'll <laughs> refer them to another group more close to their area. Oh, okay. You know, if they have a hard time getting out to L.A. You guys must have the biggest cash prize now, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. I think we already were the, the largest active prize. I think but so, too. Yeah. Uh, big news. Uh, just heard from Jim Underdown today. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Congrats, Woo-hoo. guys. Yeah. And thanks to uh, the Center for Inquiry for backing that. Uh, another potent outreach effort, I don't know what to call it, of the JREF was the JREF forums. Oh, yeah. Very popular for, online forum. Yeah. That was kind of like the place to go online to just talk about anything kind of related to science and the paranormal and testing. And yeah, I had a handle there, but I wasn't very active. Just, you know, the, I, I knew that was where the conversation happened for many years. Yeah. That was kind of dwindling a little when I was there. Mm-hmm. Just beginning to. It mm-hmm. was still active and everything. Yeah. They still have a Facebook book group oh. the j refugees <laughs> that's great that's <laughs> i approve of the name <laughs> and uh and i'll forget it's even there and then it'll just suddenly light up on facebook and huh. someone will have something to say but it's it's a pretty inactive little group now but yeah hi if anybody's out there uh, another role that the j ref played yeah i don't want to forget another really important project in randy's life that we haven't mentioned and that's project alpha project alpha yes yeah that was he did so many things it was such a full life this podcast won't do it justice go read and watch all these other things we've talked about but project alpha is worth mentioning uh so in the late 70s there were a lot of different groups doing paranormal um psychical research parapsychology goes by many names but legitimate researchers who were trying to look into paranormal abilities from the perspective of academia so the mcdonnell laboratory for psychical research aka the mac lab was uh doing these kinds of studies and james randy had approached them and said hey, well, here's the expertise of a magician. These are things that you should look for and things that you should not let claimants do as you're doing these tests. At the same time, unbeknownst to them, he had two young men that he had encountered who had really good abilities as magicians. Mm -hmm. And he had had them independently reach out and be two of the hundreds that applied for this research. And so starting in 1979... Uh, and through 1982, they were they were chosen because they seemed the most promising out of all of these applicants. And their names were Steve Shaw, mm-hmm. who is now known as... Banachek. Banachek, yeah. A well-known magician, mentalist, one of the best out there, who now has a Vegas show at the Strat that you can go see. Nice guy. Yeah. And, um, and also an administrator of the Million Dollar Prize. So at the time, he was a teenager. And so he was one of the two who applied. And then the other was Michael Edwards. Not to be confused with Mark Edward mm. or John Edward. Right. Or John Edwards or Jonathan Edwards. Don't confuse them with those right. ones. Or Edward Munch. <laughs> Edward Munch, yeah. yeah. Or uh, Edward Mybridge. Don't confuse yeah, those. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Very different. Edward, no. <laughs> 
So they worked with these researchers and they would be bending spoons and keys and moving things under jar glasses that they shouldn't be able to interact with at all, but causing them to rotate and just doing all of these magical things, mystifying all of the researchers who didn't know that they were doing magic tricks. Yeah. And Randy purposely did not teach them any of these techniques. They were just very talented young magicians themselves, and they would kind mm. of work off of each other's abilities. And James Randi sent like an additional series of protocols, and they tightened down a little bit on these guys as they started to suspect that they might know James Randi. And of course, their abilities got less impressive. But still, they were like blowing these researchers' minds, and they thought they had found like these real people like who could, you know, use telekinesis. I should say, by the way, I've heard this story told so many times in so many different ways. <laughs> I think I think that these sure. are like the skeletal bits that are uh, correct. But apparently one thing that happened was that one day the guys running the lab had brought in camera crews to like catch all of this, like to show, look, we found these these young guys with so much ability. And that sounds like that'll be their downfall. Well, they messed with them like they kept trying everything. Nothing was working. And then as soon as the camera crew left, they had like bent everything, all the spoons and everything. And the guy like lost his shit. The The lead researcher just got oh, so yeah. mad. Like, oh my God, they leave. And then all of a sudden, all this paranormal stuff takes like. And was it that Banachek and the other guy were intentionally withholding it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were messing with him. <laughs> and they thought, you know, hey, we're making a point for science. But then they saw just how this guy was losing his mind. And they're like, yeah. oh, uh oh, should we be doing this? Uh oh, this may be bad. Oh, yeah. So then James ran. Andy had this press conference with Discover Magazine where like he had one of them, I think Mike Edwards, come to the mic and said like, so can you tell us how you've been doing all this? And he said, well, uh, basically uh, we cheated. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was like a huge thing within like this community of different universities and uh, laboratories that were trying to reproduce these things. They thought it set back their research for decades. And James Randi felt, no, well, I'm bringing you more to the present. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting period because this was the late 70s, early 80s. And mm-hmm. in the mid 80s, you had the Rosenhan experiment, which is where those, those people entered themselves into asylum and said, I've been hearing the word thud. What's wrong with me? And then... Then realized how hard it was to get back out? Yeah, that may or may not be veridical. Okay. But but yes. That's like my one takeaway that I'm remembering. Yeah. I mean, there are other questions about like how this experiment was run and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But at least like, yeah, you, you have a a grasp on what the public story was and and it got a lot of press and i think legitimately brought to attention that like sometimes sting operations are the only ways to test some of these systems yeah like the sokol affair Mm -hmm. uh throw a wrench in the works every now and then just to see if the system works yeah yeah yeah. stress test yeah Yeah. anyways uh, another important story uh another person we haven't mentioned in all of this is randy's longtime partner yeah. Uh, Davy Pena. They were together for like 34 years. Something long, like that. Long time. Long time. Um, and he had been sort of a protege of Randy's too. Right. So he's much younger. And he had, I think, I think Randy had also done some kind of sting with him. Yes. Soon after he met him and yeah, much younger man at the time. And he'd met him at the library in Florida and he taught him how to uh, be a channeler. Mm. And he had him perform in Australia, I think at the Sydney Opera House. At least that's oh, the wow. impression that I got okay, um, this. as a channeler and like sent out all of these press packets in advance with like 
uh, testimonials from newspapers that didn't exist and leaving numbers like if they had just called or tried to do some research. That's always Randy's thing. Same with Project Alpha. He had left all these little traps or conditions where like if the researchers had asked, are you cheating? The Project Alpha boys would have said, yes, we are. Uh-huh. Now that you right. ask. Um, right. So in the same way, when he was setting up this Carlos the Channeler, who was being played by Davey, if anybody had called or like asked about these references, they would have found, no, actually, it's a fake. Instead, he appeared on the news and then he did the performance. And then afterwards, they did the press conference where they said, oh, by the way, he's not a real channeler. I'm James Randi. You've been had. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of my Linda Moulton Howe. <laughs> Operation where I'm emailing her and like trying so hard to give uh, her the hints that like, right, right, right. This isn't real. Here is the tool for you to use. Here's a hammer to bash my head in. Right, and then it's refused. And then Randy can turn around later and say like, "This is how easy it would have been for them to yeah. pull this all apart if they just asked some questions. You if know? they had had like basic ruling out energy and make a statement about how you know media can give." A voice to these people who the audience watching assumes have been vetted. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole other crazy story about Davy Pena having gone under the name Jose Alvarez for yeah. decades, and turns out it was a stolen identity. You can watch An Honest Liar for a really good look at that story and just yeah. kind of the complexities of, you know, someone who's a hardcore rationalist being sort of uh, won over by love. Yeah, well, and like the immigration policies in the U.S. being real shitty, especially for two gay men. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. And yep. Davey being someone who had fled Venezuela because he was targeted for being gay and feared yeah. for his life. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, bad situation all around. But to the point of Randy also being kind of a huggable, lovable man, how I also knew him as, whenever a Tam would be coming around or even Psycon later on, he'd be showing up. Uh, he would tell everybody, hey, come on up to me. Give me a hug. You know, I want to see you. I want to yeah. talk to people. And uh, he would love to have those little moments. He would do magic tricks for you. He would engage in conversation. He he loved people. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can get these caricatures of hardcore rationalists. But when you come down to it, everybody just wants to be loved. And I think it's... I don't know. I think it's worth noting that he kind of found success so late. Like... When you picture James Randi, you picture an old guy. Yeah. And that's because he got famous in like his 50s with that MacArthur Grant. And like, I don't know, it takes a certain person to get all the way to your 50s and still be doing that kind of like hard scrabble activism mm-hmm. with almost no reward. Yeah. And then get famous for it. Like, so cool, so rewarding. And I think he really enjoyed the fame. He enjoyed the adoration. Absolutely. He wanted to be around his fans. Mm-hmm. He'd make time for them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are people who just want to be famous for fame's sake. That wasn't him. Like, he did it without it. And then on top of it, got to be like, oh, cool. And people like it? Yeah. Very yeah, yeah. neat. <laughs> and and he was active and, you know, issuing these challenges way longer than anybody else would be. Yeah. Like, he just had such energy for, for life and for skepticism. Yeah. So, yeah, he would always talk about the things that people from the dead would send back in messages and he mm-hmm. he said that if he died while I was working with the JREF, I should just say, Randy, you're dead. That should be my message. <laughs> the message from, that you send to him yeah. if you're doing a seance yeah, or yeah. something like that. From beyond the grave. Well Randy, Randy, you're dead. If you're listening, you're dead. You're dead. 
but you're alive to us. That's right. I mean, so alive to us. We have like a bunch of James Randi jokes sitting in front of yeah. us that we were just showing each other. <laughs> That's right. Carrie has an awesome painting that she also got for me that sits on my mantelpiece, uh, a close-up of James Randi. And a lot of people who enter my domicile see it and say, oh, James Randi. And some others say, is that Gandalf? Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Has Gandalf vibes. And Carrie got me an yeah. awesome birthday gift. Yeah. I keep this also on my mantle. It says, to Ross... Happy birthday, signed by James Randi on an ace of diamonds. Yeah. Actually, that was the same day that the guy sat next to him and said, is that Gary Poppy? And he said, <laughs> I don't know. That was also from that I day. I like it even better. <laughs> I like it even better. That's great. That's so funny, knowing that story. But I yeah. hope someone in heaven is up there explaining to James Randi who I am right now. Is that Carrie Poppy we're listening to? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but that is a prized possession, a signed card Aww, from James Randi. And speaking of which, of course, he was an accomplished magician, of course. And so he would continue to do tricks and do them well late into his years. Um, and when they were making that film, okay, not always well. Uh, sometimes not so well. <laughs> okay. I mean, the ones that took like a lot of forethought. Mentalism tricks kind of left him toward the end there. Because okay. it was like, I, you need to plant 15 things in this room. You need to uh, get a bunch of information in the okay. lunch beforehand. What, whenever I much. saw him do simple sleight of hand, even into his later years, I thought he executed yeah. it pretty well. Sleight of hand, well. I, think, I think, stayed with him. Okay. Anyway, so as they were producing that film, An Honest Liar, they made a deck of cards that he kind of custom chose all the face cards and there were people who were important to him so you've got like harry houdini harriet hall who i'm surprised we haven't had on the so show yet cool. davy uh carl sagan uh his sister uh, which magician was that blackstone Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Gardner, Margaret Hamilton, the one who played the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, What's I name? saw that in there. I didn't know what the relevance was. I can't remember if he just was a real admirer of hers or if he actually knew her somehow. That's cool connection. It's I one think, or the other. I think you're holding it on the bottom of the... Oh, yeah, Margaret Hamilton. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to say then that he knew her maybe. Marie Curie, Penn and Teller, and Johnny Thompson, they all have cards. Oh, yeah, and his sister, I think, was Angela Easton. Anyways, it's a beautiful little deck, and you can uh, apparently still buy one on anhonestliar.com. Gary just Saw ordered that. one. No, not yet, but I'm going to. Okay. I already got you your Christmas gift, so I won't tell you not to. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for our show. And uh, hopefully, if you haven't heard of James Randi before, hopefully this was a good introduction. But if you have, hopefully this was uh, maybe some new information in there and maybe just a nice warm walk down memory lane of someone who is very influential in our lives. Yeah. Um, I hope that you see what the connection is here, too, because we're trying to do something similar. Yeah. 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 F following those footsteps, just as he followed Harry Houdini. We have similarly been inspired by James Randi to swallow large amounts of homeopathic pills. That's true. We're fine. All right. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. You can support us and the work we do at MaximumFun.org slash join. J-O-I-N. And you can follow us on social media if that's your thing. Yeah, we're kind we're on, of there. We're on two social media platforms owned by weirdos oh, that by the are way, run badly. Speaking of which, uh, we're near uh, Christmas, and here's what I am doing now. And I'm saying this in the mic because it's going to happen. Okay. I am re-releasing last year's episode about problems with the birth narrative of Jesus 
But with our commentary, the night after we recorded it, I had had to record some extra little audio bits, and they didn't mix in well at all. They just stuck out like sore thumbs. So then you and I, the very next day after that, we recorded better audio of those same points. So Mm. we're going to re-release that episode. So if you go back and listen to it to revisit the problematic birth narrative of Jesus as presented in Matthew and Luke, now you'll hear (laughs) a better quality copy with Carrie's reactions to those points. okay, okay. Nice. Yeah. It'll be like this. Oh. oh. Well, that's dumb. Who's more organic than that? Okay. <laughs> and remember. We have not proven much this evening in the way of whether or not psychic powers really exist. What we have established is that the people who came here were brave enough to be tested. We congratulate them for their bravery and we thank them very much for their attendance. You see, you can't prove a negative. I don't try to prove a negative. They are supposed to be trying to prove a positive. Suppose I want to find out if reindeer for Santa Claus could fly. I suggest we take a thousand of them up on top of the World Trade Center. One at a time, after numbering them, we step to the edge and we say, ready with number one, make notes. Push. Uh, Write down for number one, no, zero, okay? Number two. Not too good either. Number two, no. Now we could go on with all of that sort of thing. And ladies and gentlemen, what would we have proven? We would only have proven that these 1,000 reindeer on this occasion either could not fly or chose not to. If they chose not to, we know something about their IQ, too. It's been a lot of fun tonight. Thank you for being with us, and good night, Bill. Good night, Randy. And two final notes. All of tonight's challengers participated in the design of their tests, and they agreed in advance to the test protocol. And whenever a random decision was required by the test protocol, those decisions were made simply by tossing a coin. So thank you, James Randi, Uri Geller, Sylvia Brown, Bob McCoy, Alberto Vialdo, and all the $100,000 psychic challengers, and good night, ladies and gentlemen. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.